take charge of your leadership development. Join our How to Take the Lead Substack community for bonus materials, exclusive content, and discussions that will challenge and change the way you lead. Visit howtotakethelead.com to find out more. I think I probably had a vision when I was in my early 20s that if I got into a senior position, I might even have time to be sat having my nails painted and reading Grazia (laughs) in my day. You're listening to How to Take the Lead with Lee Griffith and Carrie Ann Wade. Two corporate colleagues turned business besties who question everything we've ever learned about leadership. What started with us putting the world to rights over a gin after work is now a weekly show challenging the myths and perceptions and exploring what leadership looks like in the modern day. We'll also be sharing our experiences and stories along the way. You can find our show notes at howtotakethelead.com. Hit subscribe to receive new episodes every Thursday. Plus, we'd love for you to rate or leave a review of the show. And please share your thoughts and stories on the topics we cover using the hashtag how to take the lead. Hello and welcome to episode 12, the end of season. Well, it's not actually the end of season and I'll explain that at the end of this episode. (laughs) So let's not get confused there, but (laughs) it is the kind of end of the main season. It's our last sort of formal episode of the series, isn't it? I can't believe we're on episode 12 already. That's this is like the longest series of How to Take the Lead we've ever run. First one on the podcast and we're already sat here recording episode 12. I don't know how that's happened. I know. And well done to any of you that stuck with us through the whole series. Make yourselves known. We need to celebrate you somehow. Yeah, I love that. Make yourselves known. If you stuck with us through thick and thin to make it to the end of this series, tell us so that we can thank you personally. We'd love to do that. (laughs) So we've covered a huge range of topics in this series. And today I wanted to have a bit of a, it's a serious topic, but it's, it's perhaps not as serious as some of the other ones we've had, but it's one that I've been exploring a lot and having a lot of conversations about recently. And that's about self-management as a leader. So for me, if you're going to make the right impact as a leader, you need to be able to manage yourself. And we've spoken before about that struggle between operational and strategic, getting down into the weeds. And we've mentioned all those expectations of leaders, the more senior they get and the more they move away from perhaps their specialist field and everyone suddenly wants a piece of you. So we recognise it can become really overwhelming as a leader. But we also know the truth is how you manage yourself sets the tone and is a precedent for everyone else, how they treat you and how they manage themselves and how they manage their teams as well. So it is a really important part of leadership, but I don't think we talk about enough. So today I want to talk about what a leader should be spending their time on. And I want to start by asking you, Carrie-Anne, about the expectation versus the reality in your career as you've developed as a leader. What have you learned? Gosh, that's that feels like a big question. And I do agree with you. It's not that, like this topic isn't something that we talk about enough. And I think you learn that 
through your journey to being a leader because once you get into leadership positions you realize sometimes that you're a bit ill-prepared for how many demands there are going to be on your time and what those demands might look like so I definitely personally noticed the amount of meetings increased significantly in terms of expectations of where I would be and how I would spend my time as a leader and the bit that I think probably took me by surprise around that was around the amount of prep time that you also need to build into your leadership life to be able to manage your input into those meetings because I think once you become a leader in an organization for me it feels like there's more expectation on you to go beyond your own professional background and your own professional sphere of knowledge so Mm -hmm. you're going to be in meetings where you're going to be expected to have a view on finances, HR, operational issues that perhaps are outside of your your immediate profession. And so actually, you do have to be really prepped to go into those meetings. Mm-hmm. You can't wing it and go, all right, the papers came out last week, but I'm just going to open them five minutes before the meeting because people will expect you to have a view and input on those topics. So for me, that definitely had an impact, I think, around self-management and how I spend my time as a leader or, or needed to start spending my time. And I think there was also something for me, as as you were talking and, and giving that sort of context to the episode, where I was thinking about that balance of time between knowing that your role as a leader is to be more strategic mm. and perhaps you've been in previous roles and to have that strategic focus, that forward look, um, that bigger picture position and, and, and headspace and thinking. But also we've talked so much about building connection and relationships and the importance of those throughout this series of how to take the lead. So there's also something about needing to be visible in your organization, in your team. So how do you strike that balance of having enough time to have that strategic thinking, be part of those strategic conversations, lead those strategic sessions versus being out and about understanding what it's like to be part of your team and your organization. So yeah, yeah, they were kind of the first things that sprang to mind, Lee. But again, interested to flip that back on you and hear what what it's been like for you in your journey and what realizations you came to around expectations on you as a leader i think the two that probably stick with me was one that sense of when you're quite junior in post you always want to be more senior or be the manager because you can be in control and you can have more control of your time and control of the demands of you and there's almost like the grass is greener attitude isn't there (laughs) and then when you get into those roles actually you don't have as much control as you think you have and it can be frustrating when other people perhaps are judging how you choose to spend your time or don't respect your time so that overrule of your plans for example And, and I'm sure a lot of people can recognize the phone call from chief exec's PA saying oh you just need to clear your diary because x now takes <laughs> takes priority or whatever it might be and I think I thought I'd have a lot more control than than I did I mean we'll get on to this a bit a bit later about what you can do if you feel in that type of situation but I think the flip side to that also is the more you give the more people will take so there isn't ever this perfect situation or this point where people around you or your manager or your CEO says do you know what they've done enough 
I'm not going to give them any more work. They're, you know, they're managing it all. It doesn't. If, if, you, no. if you deliver, you get more to deliver. <laughs> and if you cram it all in in your day, they'll give you more. There's always stuff coming at you. And there comes a point of realisation where you think, I, I could just keep flogging and flogging and flogging myself. Is it worth it? Because it's going to be relentless and it's never going to stop. And that was quite a sobering moment when you realise that you're never going to voluntarily come off of the, the treadmill that you're on. You've got to take control of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I absolutely agree with you. It made me chuckle because you're so right. Is the CEO or whoever it is that is dictating some of your priorities or most of your priorities and workload is just going to keep you know, that work's not going away. It's just going to keep coming. I absolutely agree with that. And I, I guess as I'm listening to this, I'm sat here thinking, why do I want to be a leader? This sounds hideous. <laughs> I do think you're absolutely right. You don't get as much control over your own time as you think you will before you've reached those senior positions. I think I probably had a vision when I was in my early 20s that if I got into a senior position, I might even have time to be sat having my nails painted and reading Grazia in my day because I'd be able to to decide what I spent my time on just get your people to do it yeah, it absolutely isn't like that at all no but I think and we're gonna cover this a bit later in this discussion but I do think you can do stuff about that it isn't a case of well we we just need to suck it up it can feel like that sometimes but I think there's a maturity point that you reach where you realize that actually you need to start setting your own boundaries and stuff like that and yeah. I won't delve too deeply into that now because I do want us to talk about it a bit more I think that concept of competing priorities is something that in every single organization that you go to you're going to see in different guises and one of the common issues that I see and I've experienced is that feeling that as a leader, you perhaps need to put everyone else first. So someone more senior asks you for something, if your team needs support, or that sense of protected time that we talk about leaders needing isn't really protected because it tends to be the first thing you give away when things crop up or people need help. And I've seen this happen so many times. I'm going to move my coaching session because I don't have the time. I'm going to cancel that training because I need to complete that piece of work. I can't find the time to write the strategy because I need to be, or I'm going to be in back-to-back -back meetings. I know I need to sort the team out, but we're so busy, we're never going to get around to doing it. And it's almost like protected time has no value. So... I want to explore or emphasise why protected time is important and the value it does actually add to your leadership. Yeah, it is really important. And I think it's really closely linked to boundary setting and how mm. you set those boundaries, which we sort of touched on already in the conversation. Because, you know, for me, and I'm not perfect at this, absolutely not. And I have weeks and weeks that go by where I don't role model my own things that I tell other people to do but then once I get back into the habit of it actually I find it really helpful to do so for me there's something about about that time blocking and actually putting into your 
diary that protected time and maybe you badge it up as something else that other people won't think it's easy to move on your behalf maybe you put it in your diary as, as time to complete actual pieces of work or have that reflective thinking time and I think the more you can get into the habit of doing that on a regular basis the more you then manage your, yourself that way if that makes mm. sense like mm. I got really into time blocking for a bit and I haven't done it for about three weeks and I, I actually do feel a bit out of control through not doing it so I'm like right I must do that because actually I'm kind of setting some boundaries with my own self around how I'm going to spend my time. Can I give you a top tip around time blocking and this is something that actually my coach taught me many many years ago and it's often we protect time to do a piece of work like you've just said but then we get to the time and procrastination can strike or because we haven't prepared adequately for how we're going to use the protected time so one of the things that I learned in my corporate life that I continue is building that almost that folder of resources so that I've got everything ready for when I reach that protected time so if I've need to do research or reading or any documents that I might need to write that strategy paper or to write that board paper or whatever it might be. I'll have been in touch with people in advance and got their responses and everything's saved in one space. So I've got no need to suddenly in that protected space, jump on the internet to do any research. I don't need to go into my emails to contact anyone. I don't need anything that might be a potential procrastination or distraction. I've already dealt with because it's all there and it makes that protected time so much more valuable and focused. Oh, I love that. I think that's a really good tip. And and I would build on that. You mentioned about that. You don't have to duck into your emails. I'm getting much better at shutting down my email because that's Mm. one of the things that happens with me. Something pops up and then it's my boss saying, oh, what's happening with this? And I'm, oh, I better respond to that straight away because it's the chief exec. Oh, it's one of my team. They need help with this. Actually just close it down so you can't be distracted by those things that feel like they need an immediate response. If I have days where I am in lots of meetings or I have put protected time in to do specific pieces of work, I actually set my out of office to Mm. say I'm not available today so that actually people know that not to expect a response from me straight away I find that's quite helpful but I I definitely think there is something about that clarity on your own boundaries and understanding why you want to set that protected time in the first place and then trying as best as you can to stick to those boundaries and I think part of that is because it does start to eat into your personal life as well So I think if you respond to everything that comes in immediately and you don't stick to some of those boundaries you've set and you don't say, right, my non-negotiable things that I need to deliver this week or today are these two or three things and keep bringing back to that focus on those non-negotiables that for you are going to help move you forward into the next week, into the next month, whatever. I, I think if you don't stick to your boundaries around that, you end up filling your working day with all of those things that feel like quick wins because they're quite immediate and it's meeting other people's needs. Mm -hmm. And then you eat into your home lifetime by trying to catch up on those things that you said at the start of the week were non-negotiable. And I think for me, it's back to your point, you mentioned it at the start about role modelling. I think how you start to manage yourself and your time really role models to others what's acceptable. And actually, it might well be your choice, but if you're constantly 
sending people stuff at nine, ten o'clock at night every night, more junior people to you feel like that's the norm, that's the acceptable norm, and that's it not creates pressure. That's, yeah, that's actually not fair. And I've been there in the days of the BlackBerry when I hadn't worked out you could turn the noise off, but I hadn't worked out you could turn the flashing light off. <laughs> and I remember being sat a, a few times, nine o'clock at night, seeing it flashing on the table, thinking, oh, I better check. Oh, it's an email from my boss. I'm feeling the pressure now to respond to that now because I've read it. And because they're sending it at that time, they expect me to respond at that time. So I do just think you need to be really careful with that role modeling because you're creating a culture that isn't fair and isn't sustainable for other people as mm. well as yourself. Yeah. I mean, I always say boundaries is the standard that you set for everyone, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Agree with I, I think if you don't have protected time, to work on the things that matter most to you in the business, then you're actually doing real harm to the business in one way or another. So you're either not going to be progressing the strategic direction, you won't be innovating or bringing fresh thinking into the workplace. If you're really down into the weeds, then you're probably micromanaging or working at a level down that's impacting team morale or trust. One well, things that we've mentioned in previous episodes and all of that has a knock-on effect for performance and then you think about those people who perhaps are working smartly strategically have that protected time they're going to be the ones that are progressing and improving and rising to the top and so actually before you know it if you stay in a state of firefighting or working at an operational level when as a leader you need to be having the bigger picture in hand you're doing yourself as a leader an injustice and you're doing your organization an injustice yeah I absolutely agree with you and there's also that thing about back to that role modeling but it's about trusting the people whose job it is to do certain things to do them to enable you to get on and do what you need to do and actually if you're mm. one of those people who feels like you have to squash everything into the day and be all over everything that that actually is a detrimental effect on other people as well mm. so what should you be protecting your time for as a leader we've spoken about why protecting your time is important and the impacts it can have but what do you do with your time if it's protected? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think as a leader, obviously, your focus has got to be more strategic. So thinking about what are the things that you're working on that help setting the strategy and delivering the strategy for the organisation. So for that, obviously, be clear on your vision, mission, purpose. Absolutely. I think there'll be things that come in that are priorities for you. So it might be something that comes in around like a crisis that needs to be managed or a reputational issue should definitely be things that you should be prioritizing if they happen but I also think there's something about the developmental stuff so you've touched mm. on it already it's development of self I think that's really important and it can be one of the things we neglect to, to do and spend time on as a leader mm -hmm. we usually push that to the bottom of our pile but like you say if you want to deliver the best for your team and your organization then you have to be constantly learning and involve in yourself so that you can spread that and share mm. that in your organization I think you should be focusing your time on the development of your team so if you're in a leadership team the development of that leadership team building those relationships with people and the development of the organization what 
you know, are you doing that horizon scanning? Are you on top of what needs to happen next to take your organisation to the next level? So I think there's lots of bigger picture stuff that you definitely need to be focusing your time on as a leader. And if you don't protect that time, it's not there for you to do it. But again, I caveat that with the balance of, you know, one of the things we heard through the Modern Leader Report that we pulled together was that need for visible, compassionate leaders who understand where people in their teams and organisations are coming from. So you do want to have those touch points with your organisation and prioritise those as well. But I think it's about getting the balance right of walking the floor but also having that strategic element to what you're doing with your time. Yeah, I mean, building relationships is such an important part. It's not an add-on. It's not a nice to have. I would say you need to be dedicating at least 40% of your time on building those relationships externally as well as in- internally. I, I think from a team development point of view that's really important as well. But I also think you're there as an unblocker for the team and that's part of your role isn't it as the senior leader you're there to help move things forward in one way or another and those are the actions you should be focusing on rather than perhaps all the detail of the stuff that they're working on but it's the things that they can't do that only you can do with either your influence or your knowledge or experience and I suppose you should be sense checking everything through a filter of does this align with the bigger picture and you need to take that lead in demonstrating how to say no to stuff and how to deprioritize. Is that a word? I, I, get, I get where you're coming from on that one because there is something about as a leader, you can often feel the need to be all things to all people. I think we've talked about this in other episodes as well about it's not being a leader is not about being liked. You're not there mm-hmm. to make loads of new friends. So actually that saying no thing is really important because actually the more things you say yes to that are not helping you reach your strategic objectives and take you towards that bigger purpose, the more you deviate away from that and it just becomes more complicated. Like there's too many programs, too many priorities doesn't help anybody to actually feel like they can achieve anything. At Cats Pajamas, we empower brilliant communications professionals to grow and thrive in their careers through mentoring, collaboration and community. If you'd like to find out more or subscribe to our newsletter, you can visit www.cats-pajamas.co.uk where you can even book your free 30-minute discovery call. I'm so passionate about helping comms pros to grow and thrive and I'm really looking forward to working with you. Hi there, if you're enjoying this episode of How to Take the Lead, please hit subscribe and go leave a review or rating. We'd also love to hear your stories and thoughts on today's topic. Please DM us, our links are in the show notes, or tag us into your socials using the hashtag How to Take the Lead. We've spoken already quite a bit about boundaries and this sense of the culture that you create in the way that you set and stick to your boundaries and I've talked about this on my blog and my YouTube channel before about the boundaries you set is the tone that you're setting for your organization it's the culture you set for your organization you are literally creating expectations of the people that surround you and so the knock-on effect of that can be 
the vision and focus of the organisation, the values and the way it behaves, the culture and the management and the working style of the organisation, how connected people feel to you. And that's why it's really, really important to be mindful of what your boundaries say and do. But then we have this culture of the urgent always pushing out the important and that tends to override our boundaries sometimes and I suppose I'm interested in your thoughts about how do you start to harness good boundary setting and create a culture that is respectful of your boundaries. I think there's a few things and we touch on this in the group mentoring that I do a lot. I think there's something about openness and transparency and being honest with your Mm. team, particularly your immediate team that are working to support you around what your boundaries actually are and why you've put them in place. Because I think sometimes that can be hard for other people to understand. So if one of your boundaries is around saying no to certain things or, you know, I'm sorry, that's not my priority because whatever I think you have to help people understand why you're saying no to that and why that's one of your boundaries so I think that honesty and transparency is quite important in having those discussions and I think you also have a role to play in talking to other people about what their boundaries might be Mm. and helping them to set some for themselves as well Mm. because this isn't just the domain of the leaders of the organization and like the top five most senior people in the organization get to have boundaries and other people don't I think it's a really important part as you say of building that culture you've got to be respectful of other people's boundaries and if you don't demonstrate respect you're not going to get it absolutely I absolutely agree with you I also think there's something around you know when you're talking about urgent like pushing out the other stuff that might be important I think there's something about understanding who you've got in your team to support you to deliver Mm. stuff and I think sometimes when things come in that's that appear to be urgent there's a sense of importance and there's something about if you're a certain type of personality you probably feel like you have to be all over that and you have to own it and you have to deliver the solution to whatever this urgent issue is that's come on and I think you need to remember what your position is and that you have other people around you to pick up some of that work and operationalize and action things and actually by trying to be the sole person taking responsibility for solving that issue you're doing a disservice to those other people because you're disempowering them Mm. you have to be really clear that you've got the right people and the right roles around you to be able to delegate some of the actual doing of that work to because I think in the moment when things are uh, come in that are perceived to be really urgent it all feels quite dramatic and it's very easy to feel like I'm the only person that can deal with this and actually quite often as you say there are points when you're the only person that can unblock something but actually there should be other people that can do some of that that action taking for you you've got that eisenhower matrix which is really good at mapping out the urgent versus the important and then you have the different quadrants around what do you delegate what do you need to focus on what do you delay and having something like that as a framework that you can put around your work or put your work through so you can see should I be doing this should someone else be doing that I think that's a really useful tool I I think there are also like you've mentioned the Eisenhower framework I think there are lots of tools out there that can help you think about how you 
manage and maintain your boundaries. We've talked about time stuff. We've talked about things that are non-negotiable in terms of what you need to achieve. And I think that's a really important thing to consider in your working week because there will be so many demands on your time and everyone else thinks their priority should be your priority and it won't always be that way. Um, So I think you do need to think about it in this week. What are the three non-negotiable things that I have to have focused some of my efforts and energy on keep bringing yourself back to that so that you do feel like you're making progress for me yeah. we've talked about trust we've talked about relationships they're all really important parts of that boundary setting because that will be what helps you to maintain those boundaries because when you slip hopefully you've got someone else who can step up and go oh no actually I, I thought we agreed that's not what you would be doing I, I can take that pressure off and I can manage that situation so I think the relationships that you've got with the people that work around you are also really important if I'm honest with you. When I'm working with leaders on the management of themselves so I have managed as one of the six areas that I focus on when I work with senior leaders and The three things we look at is how you use your time. So it can cover everything from how you manage meetings, how what meetings you decide you're going to go to, all of that kind of stuff, how you create that time to think and work on strategy and planning, what hours you choose to work, how you structure your day. I always say picture what your perfect day and perfect week would look like and then it's a sounds a bit woo but then then you can start to manifest it the second area is is so you you firstly you work on how you use your time then you work on how you work so what you choose to do with your time knowing perhaps what type of work-life balance you're looking for because I think that's really important to understand what you want outside of work because that can determine the types of choices that you make it might be that you decide I'm going to take my child to school in the mornings or one day a week I'm going to have brunch with someone I don't know and therefore I need to keep that space clear because that's a boundary I want to put in place there's also something about knowing how you work best so are you a morning person or an afternoon person when are you going to feel the most creative when are you going to want quiet time and structure your diary around that And then the third area I always focus on is how you manage. So being really clear around what you need to know, when you want people to get you involved, as we've we've spoken about, and then defining the difference between what's information sharing versus what you might need to input into versus what you might need to make decisions on, because they are all very different. And I think if you can name and define it, it really helps give your team that guidance. Yeah, I'm I'm chuckling to myself still about are you a morning person or an afternoon person? And the thought that went through <laughs> my head was like, what if you're none of those? I don't know what that says about me. But I think you're right, that last point you made that, you know, I, I think there's something when you're setting your boundaries, when you're thinking about how and when you're working, when you're thinking about is this really urgent or not? Do I need to be involved in it? It's just questioning like what value can I add to this? And actually... Yeah. If when you've posed that question, the answer is very little, it is probably for someone else to deal with that situation or that issue for you. Because if you're not adding any value, why would you be taking up your time getting involved in that? And there's something else that, again, I don't think senior leaders particularly, and it might be more broadly than this, really think about the setup of their office particularly if they've got a PA or someone that helps manage 
them and their diary. I don't think people necessarily invest enough time in getting that right from the outset. And certainly back in the day when I was at my corporate job, I used to help set up chief exec offices and we did time audits of where and how the chief exec was spending their time. And we had to have some hard conversations with the chief exec around their expectations because they wanted to do too much in the time that was allocated to them. So they wanted to see certain people on a certain frequency and it was just, there was no logistical way that it was ever going to happen. But we didn't identify that until it was all mapped out and we'd audited all the things that they wanted to achieve and how it was going to fit into the working hours that they wanted to work. And so we had that as a basis to have a really hard conversation and they had to make choices around what they needed to prioritise, what they could delegate. But then we sat with the PA and, and the teams and we would look at, right, when you get requests for meetings through, which ones do you divert elsewhere and what types of things should be diverted elsewhere in terms of calls or emails or meetings? Which ones do you escalate up to the chief executive how do you create a space and hold that space so that they can work on strategy or they can be visible in the organization and make sure that that individual absolutely understood the importance of all these things so that they didn't try to be a people pleaser and fit everyone in and then create a mess of the office setup and so it's a really important dialogue that we had to have we had Trello boards and everything. I mean, we, we went. <laughs> you know what, Lee, that doesn't surprise me, you telling me that. <laughs> They've still got the processes in place because it's helped them to have clarity and have a dialogue with each other. And they've come from a common understanding of where they're all trying to get. Yeah. And, and I think that point you make as well is not just the group effort, but the process piece is really mm. important. So actually, if there are processes that you and others can put in place to help manage the time better and what you're doing with your time better why would you not do that but I think some people can be quite resistant to the idea that there can be processes that can be put in place to help manage that but yeah I think that that is a really important part of it and if you're in a position where you're lucky enough to have a PA like they can be one of the best tools in your armory around how you manage your time and protect your time and I've I've worked with chief executives if you've had PAs that put the fear of everything into you mm. like oh no I'm gonna have to go through that person if I want access to the chief executive and I laugh about it but in some respects now I look back and think actually that was really good because that meant that person had somebody who was really protecting them their time their diary and making sure that they were being able to focus on the things that they needed to yeah and they don't have you don't have to do any of this stuff in a confrontational way or in a horrid way it, it is it's not about necessarily saying no to people, but it's about diverting them to the best place to get things moved forward. And the best place isn't always you. No. In fact, if, if you're the wrong place, just something sat there waiting for you to take action on can hold things up for, for far longer because it's actually it isn't relevant for you to be part of that. And therefore it kind of just sits. <laughs> so we know it's important that you don't get down into the weeds as a leader, but we also know that people like to have control. They like to know what's happening in the organisation. They 
particularly in times of challenge, may feel that they've got to go that extra mile to show they've got grip. This is the word I always hear people use, grip on an issue. Um, but we know if you're being too hands-on or too directive, you can be undermining your teams. You could be diminishing trust, as we've said before, and it actually has the opposite effect in terms of performance. How do you then stay in control without doing or overseeing everything? I think there's something around having clarity about responsibility and accountability and what's mm. different and who's got what in terms of who's responsible for something and who's accountable for it. So I think clarity around that is really important. I think there's something for me about how while you trust people, you need to be clear about expectations with them. So if you are delegating something to someone else and, and saying, okay, you need to deliver this now, set those expectations early about when they have to come back to you with an update, progress report, whatever it might be, to make sure there is that report back structure. Because if you know, actually, I've given this person three days, they've told me they can come back to me with an update on that then. I'm going to stop thinking about that now because someone else is taking that forward. But I've got that sense that somebody is coming back to me. So that is obviously built on the trust and relationship piece. But mm. I think those clear expectations of this is whose job it is to deliver this now. It's not mine. But what I do need you to do is to feed back to me at X point in time because I'm have to, going to have to be accountable to the rest of the board for that, for example, is is a really important part of it. But how do you... I mean, I've seen this where people get into um, seeking assurance, but actually all they're doing is seeking reassurance and they still are still able to dance in the weeds under the guise of, oh, I'm just getting information so that I can do, just as you've said, report back if I'm asked on it. So how, how do you get that balance right so that your team aren't having to feed back on every little bit that they're doing? I, I think that's, that's that question. bit about staying in that strategic space, isn't it? And mm. knowing where your value add is and knowing what it is that you do need to know and what you don't. And I think actually, weirdly, sometimes it, it works the opposite way because if you're a leader who can't get out of the operational weeds of something, it, the thing that helps you step out of that is when you've got people who will constructively challenge you and say, actually, you don't need to worry about that because we're dealing with that over here. What you actually need to know is this, because I think sometimes if you're not in that strategic headspace, it, it's hard to work out how to get into it without other people nudging you in the right direction. So I, I've often had to take that role where my role is to say to other leaders in my organisations, we're being too operational here. This isn't for us to know about. You need to let those people get on and do the job. Actually, the bit we need to be thinking about is this bit over here. And that's the bit that we need the assurance on. And you're right. I think assurance and reassurance gets very murky depending on your personality type in terms of yeah. what it is that you're actually seeking. Yeah. And there's something there about you need to give permission to your teams to be challenged on that. So there's something about your behaviour and your telling people it's okay to challenge me if you think I'm getting too into it. Because I think if you don't say that, some teams will be fearful. I think you've got to have that level of insight first though, haven't you? So if you mm -hmm. haven't done that work to have that insight. So I've worked with leaders before who've said to me, I, I know in periods of high stress that I become really operational because I feel like that's the bit that I can control and yeah. I want to know what's going on. 
and they have given me permission to say to them you're being too operational now you need to just let us go on with it we'll come to you when we've got the bit that you need to be involved in but Mm. that person could only say that to me because they had that insight so I guess some of it is about how do you get that insight and maybe that's through feedback from others and maybe that's through coaching mentoring whatever that might be as part of your leadership journey but you have to have the insight and be open-minded enough I think to to then say to others I expect you to challenge me if I'm not being strategic yeah and I think that is part of bigger mindset work that you need to do as a leader because I think if you're someone who's been used to working operationally and maybe you thrived in that environment suddenly moving to that strategic level can seem less fast paced maybe your outputs don't feel as tangible and I've had conversations with people going well I want to get involved with what the team's doing and do something operational because I want to feel like I've achieved something so doing some work as you step into that leadership role and and the expectations of what you need to deliver as a leader to help you reframe what delivery looks like now that you're a leader or a senior leader, I think it's a really important thing to do. Yeah, I can agree more with you, Lee. And then I think there's something about working on the visibility. So we've talked about that the need to get out and build relationships. I think your communication as a leader is key because you're not going to be able to be everywhere at all times so determining from the outset what your personal communication rhythm is going to look like where people can see you how they can access you the type of information you're going to share and have that as part of your you know package of things that set out your stall again is another really important piece of work to do I think you have to bear in mind consistency with that as well Mm -hmm. so making sure you're doing that consistently so whatever you choose as your rhythm or your style your approach be consistent with it because people will start to expect that of you and I think there's also something about setting expectations of the team around you and other leaders about how they might also contribute to that and you know like you say the fact is you can't be everywhere all the time so actually what what are other people's actions going to be to support that visibility of the broader leadership yeah great so to conclude this discussion what are your how-tos to start managing yourself as a leader I think there's something for me around looking at some of the very practical things you could do. So some of the things we've talked about, you could implement some practical tips. Maybe it is using Trello, maybe it's using your diary in a different way. That kind of stuff I think is really helpful to do because I think that helps build good habits, definitely. So for me, that would be one of my tips. And I, I think my other reflection or thing that I think it would be helpful for other leaders to do is just to spend a bit of time thinking about their own boundaries and mm-hmm. if they're clear on what they are. If not, how do you get that clarity? What like What's important to you in terms of that boundary setting? Because I think if you can't be clear on your own boundaries, I don't know how you can expect other people to have that clarity. And I think that just will help you work more effectively with other people. Yeah, yeah. And I would just add to that, that thing around working on reframing the guilt maybe that you're feeling around when you're working in the weeds or when you're trying to say no to things but you want to be a people pleaser or whatever doing some some work on reframing what that actually means is important 
So that's a wrap for series one. We are going to be back next week with a little after party or in honour of all those trashy TV shows that we watch. It's like an end of series reunion show, but just with the two of us. <laughs> I guess I, what sort of reunion it is, I don't know. It'd be me and you again. <laughs> but we're going to be reflecting on our discussions from across the series. I don't know about you, Carrie Ann, but I've certainly been thinking about some of the things that we've talked about afterwards and I've gone oh I wish we'd spoken about that or something's happened since yes and I'm it's like, that oh. bit something happens after you've recorded an episode you go oh that would have been brilliant to talk yeah. about because it's about exactly the topic that's the one for me that seems to crop up yeah so this is going to be our chance to revisit revise refute the things that we might have said or discussed in previous episodes it's not just going to be a recap of of everything we've already covered because we hope that you've listened to all of those episodes so if you've listened to all the episodes and you've got any thoughts or things that you thought hey, hang on a minute you didn't answer this question or i still am not clear on what i should do in this situation just drop us a line on any of our socials and we will try to make sure that we cover it in one way or another next week yeah Thanks again for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you're the first to receive new episodes when they drop every Thursday. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love it if you would rate it or leave a review. And let us know your thoughts and own experiences. Get in touch with either of us on LinkedIn, Twitter or Instagram. Or use the hashtag #HowToTakeTheLead. the lead. Until next week, get out there and take the lead.